All right, hanging out here on this Thursday edition of The Zone. Jason Anderson with you, Josh Briscoe, Kyle Collier, heading up until 2 o'clock. We'll talk with Max Reaper coming up an hour from now. Right now, let's talk some NFL football, some Chiefs football. Matt Lane, KC Sports Network, kcsn.substack.com, and, of course, the KC Laboratory Podcast. Matt, welcome into the show. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me on. It's just, uh, you know, it's a little change of pace now. Coming into the uh, off season, off the Super Bowl victory, back-to-back championship. It's, just, it's a little different feel. Yeah, no doubt. You, you mentioned that, uh, you know, back-to-back. Has that sunk in yet for you? I mean, it's getting there. Uh, and here's the hard part is I love the NFL draft so much that it's pretty easy for me to kind of flip <laughs> that switch. And then once we get, like, into the summer months, then things probably settle in a little bit more. For me, like I'm just excited that the NFL Combine starts next week, and we're getting into all that kind of stuff. So it'll be a while before I think it like fully hits me uh, personally. It's funny because uh, on uh, Tuesday we did a factor fiction with Todd Lebo, and Josh asked that um, uh, you know factor fiction. I am ready for the Combine and the draft season to start after this uh, year and the playoffs and. Uh, the Super Bowl and everything, and and we all said fiction because we didn't think he was ready the way that he sounded. Um, and he said that was correct; it was fiction. He is not ready uh, at this point for it to already start. Uh, this is like the week off. This is the week reprieve that uh, you've got the Super Bowl. You talk about the Super Bowl this week. You got sort of a week off next year it, or next week. It is the combine and on into draft season, and then we got the uh, franchise tag deadline, and we've got then free agency. Like this is the one week where you can just sort of take a deep breath. You can just sort of, uh, not for you, but for a lot of other people. Yeah, no, and I, I get it. The, the combine, it would be, make a lot of sense if the combine got moved back a little bit to help with the timing and everything for fans, not for teams. They obviously want it to be mm-hmm. what it is, but this is what it is. It, it, it works out well for me. And then once we get past the draft, then it'll really set in like, wow, the Chiefs just won, you know, the first time to go back to back since the Patriots did it in the early 2000s. This rarely happens. This is going to be something that's crazy. And like, oh, hey, by the way, when they won, they immediately got up on the on the stage and were talking about going for three. So now we get to spend all next year talking about what it would be like to be the first team, you know, the first fan base to have a team three piece. So there's a lot of excitement to mm-hmm. come for. It's just a little distraction in the uh, in the way in the meantime. You know, after that 2019 Super Bowl, the Chiefs went on the Run It Back tour and brought everybody back, kept the uh, the band together, and they got back to the Super Bowl, so it wasn't a failure. They got back to the Super Bowl, and it also didn't cost them years down the road. They didn't sacrifice five years of success for that one year because, you know, over the next three years, they lost in overtime in the AFC Championship game and won two Super Bowls. So uh, they did not sacrifice those things. I bring that up because this offseason... You know, they've talked about going for three. They want to three-peat. They want to keep people together. Chris Jones at the parade said, I'm going to be back next year and the next year and the next year and the next year. Um, whether that was the liquor talking or not, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, he certainly was uh, feeling himself and, and having some fun there uh, with the vibes being high at that time during the parade. Uh, Chris Jones and Legereus Sneed, that has been a huge conversation that has taken place since they won the Super Bowl. How do you view and sort of break down these particular players? Priority one, is it Chris Jones to you? Is it Legereus Sneed? If they can only sign one, how do you view that uh, decision that Brett Veach and the front office and the staff and the coaches and the scouts have to make uh, here you know, fairly soon in the next four weeks or so? It's such a tricky conversation to have because there, I think there's a clear pros to both of them. There's the cons for keeping either one of them are not particularly near as high, but like there's rationale for why you would not be able to or not, you know, it wouldn't be most advisable to bring back either one of the guys. So 
For me personally, I think I lean Legarius Sneed just because I think he's a, he's a couple years younger. But more than that, if you listen to any time Steve Spagnuolo talks, it kind of starts with what Legarius Sneed and Trent McDuffie do and how that allows them to do all the other stuff, all the blitzes, all the rotating coverages, disguising everything. He almost always starts with talking about it because he's got these two corners that he can trust to line up in man coverage, to play zone, to blitz, to, to defend the run and be like force defenders when they don't have linebackers out there because they're mugging up on the line of scrimmage or blitzing. I just think if I look at the defense as a whole, having Snead paired with McDuffie gives the entire defense, all 11 players, more. It helps them a little bit more, whereas obviously the impact of the singular player of Chris Jones is more than any other defensive player on the team, probably more than anyone besides Patrick Mahomes. His singular impact is higher, but I just think the defense probably has functioned as high as it did this year because of that secondary, and I think keeping that together while you continue to rebuild the defensive line might be the route I would go if they had to choose between the two of them. And that's interesting because that's not the consensus view, so uh, that that is uh, a different view of uh, what most people have come to the uh, conclusion. Uh, I'll ask you, if that's the case, if you go Legereus Sneed there, uh, what do you do at defensive tackle? How do you attack that? How do you fill that what will be a very large void in, in Chris Jones, considering it doesn't feel like there's uh, anybody there to step in right now and to fill that void so you don't have, you know, you're not just taking Chris Jones off the field and not doing anything to, to replace that? Yeah, that's the trick is in you, if you don't keep, if you don't, you don't keep Legereus Sneed, you do have players that are ready to step in. I don't think they're close to the same level, mm-hmm. so you're going to have a step back. You know, Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams have been great, and maybe Nazi Johnson comes back from injury and is exceptional as well. But when you kind of look at how the Chiefs use those guys or speak about them, it really is Legereus Sneed and Trent McDuffie that help the secondary go. So while they have guys, I don't know if they're up to allowing the rest of the defense to play the way they do. Whereas you look at Chris Jones, the Chiefs don't have anybody to step in if they don't keep him so if he does hit free agency they obviously have to go add some players multiple players guys at that position whether it's an early draft pick and a solid especially like in the early rounds the first two days of the nfl draft there's some quality defensive tackles that could probably step in and make their impact felt pretty early on especially as pass rushers or if you go look at the free agency market, there's there's a handful of defensive tackles that you know are hitting the market this year that are going to also be expensive. It's not like you'd be saving a ton of money, but you got Justin Matabuke, you got Christian Wilkins, you got um, there's a fair uh, couple other guys. Javon Kinlaw I know hasn't been good, but like there's some names out there of talented players that you could come in, bring them in. So if they don't keep Chris Jones, you're going to have to spend money, you're going to have to spend draft capital. But you are getting a little bit younger. You're going to save money that you're going to spend on other positions like tackle or wide receiver because they think that Chris Jones would obviously be more expensive, the most expensive person you would sign this offseason. Mm-hmm. Reallocating that money to other positions to make the overall team stronger. It's kind of what they did with Tyreek Hill a couple of years ago, and I think we all agree that that worked out pretty well. Yeah, that, my my issue was, and and um, I landed on Chris Jones over Lejarius Need, understanding that the money is going to be more expensive for Chris Jones. Um, I, I would also wonder how serious he is, Matt, about wanting to return to the Chiefs because if he is that serious, he's going to have to meet the Chiefs at their number, um, not the Chiefs coming up because the best contract offer he was going to get that he got last year, and he turned it down. That is not going to be on the table this year because he's a year older. So the Chiefs are not going to offer the same amount of money to Chris Jones. Um, and if he turned it down last year, why would he then accept? 
this year unless he looks at it and goes, well, I, I maybe have a better understanding of the market out there uh, as a free agent. But I think as a true total free agent, no franchise tag, no nothing like that, um, you know, I think he would be able to bring in um, top coin, maybe not Aaron Donald money, but close to it. So we'll see what his decision is, how important it is to return to the Chiefs if he were to meet the Chiefs at their number. Um, I view it as with the questions around who is there and available to step in right now for Chris Jones um, and not having that and understanding what you talked about with uh, some defensive tackles. I'd mentioned Matabuke, um, him being one of those Christian Wilkins um, uh, uh there's a couple of others out there. DJ Reader is available as well, but he's almost 30 years old, uh, too. But Matabuke would be the one that would make sense as a 26-year-old. But I just feel like Joshua Williams is more ready to step in and, and fill that role to where if you were to allocate money elsewhere, do you allocate Legereus Needs money elsewhere as opposed to Chris Jones? And Joshua Williams is closer to being ready to step in at that spot than taking the Chris Jones money and allocating it elsewhere, but then you're going to have to allocate a decent amount and even draft picks to the defensive line. Where with Joshua Williams, I don't think it's a major pressing need to say, all right, without LeJarius Need, you better go address cornerback right now. Um, that's the reason I land on Chris Jones as opposed to LeJarius Need. I'd love to have them both back. That would be fantastic. And then go address uh, some needs in the uh, draft. But I, I, am I too high on Joshua Williams? Or if, if they if the Chiefs decide that Chris Jones is the priority and, and Legereus need they can't make it fit, is Joshua Williams ready to step in and at least play at a high enough level to where you know we're not talking about Orlando Scandrick or Rashad Fenton yeah. having to play cornerback? It's a balancing act. It's like I fully see the path to why Chris Jones makes more sense for that mm-hmm. exact reason. Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams, they're still splitting reps right now, and yeah. I don't think the Chiefs are ready to make the decision on who's above the other at this point. So, like, they're still splitting reps. So they do have guys that are functional NFL players that, you know, lower-end starting-level cornerbacks. They're, mm-hmm. they're not Orlando Scandrick level. They're clearly <laughs> better than that. But they also aren't. If you put Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams out there, along with Trent McDuffie in the Chiefs secondary, do you now feel comfortable blitzing you know, as often as they did? Do you now mm-hmm. feel comfortable with all those coverage rotations? Because now all of a sudden you have two guys that, I mean, if we go back to just last year's training camp, Steve Spagnuolo, Dave Merritt, all these guys talked about how they were waiting for either one of them to take that step, and they kind of said it hadn't happened yet. So I just think if, if you lose Snead, I think the exotic nature of Steve Spagnuolo's defense probably takes a step back. And, yes, you have Chris Jones. Yes, you have this single-player game record. But I think you lose a little bit of the Steve Spagnuolo mastermind aspect. So I think, for me, more than saying it's Snead over Chris Jones, it's saying I want whatever lets Steve Spagnuolo do all of his mad scientist stuff the most. And I personally come down to that being Legereus Snead, allowing him to get into all those blitzes. Now, the path that you talked about, let's say they get a good deal with Chris Jones, they can't get something worked out with Snead, and they have this corner room that they currently have, I think they're fine going into next year. They don't need an early investment. You probably don't have to pay an exceptional amount of money to bring in a corner. You might want to add some depth, but they've done a really good job at drafting defensive backs over the Brett Reach's tenure. They got Nazi Johnson, who I think they had really high hopes for last year before his ACL injury, so he's coming back. They drafted Nick Jones. Like They have a bunch of guys that they could go into camp with and see if somebody steps up and can play to – 75% of Legereus Steen's level, and then as the year goes on, as that continuity grows, you have another playoff push of the Steve Spagnuolo defense. This past year was the anomaly, right? That was the year we got 
Steve Spagnuolo playoff defense from week one all the way through the Super Bowl, most years it takes them 10, 12 weeks to really find their footing. So I think if the hope would be those young corners that are having to step up and replace Snead have the first half of the year to get to that level and it can ramp up. I just think I might lean on with the way the offense looks, trying to let Steve Spagnuolo be as comfortable as possible. He seems to really like the coverage flexibility he has with the two elite corners rather than just one of them. Matt Lane is our guest, KCSN, KC Laboratory Podcast. If they don't bring back Chris Jones, does it make it to where they go into the draft as sort of a priority, a whole, and, and, and we have to, we're forced to, to, to go and, and draft this spot? I mean, uh, I, I think, look, I, I mean, I, I, I would uh, highly doubt Byron Murphy would be anywhere near where they would be able to, <laughs> to, to draft him. That's not happening. Maybe Jerzon Newton, they can, um, you know, trade up and, and maybe take him. But I think the impact of a Chris Jones sort of works against the Chiefs and a Jalen Carter, what he did last year for the Eagles works against the Chiefs because I think teams would look at it and go, look what these guys are doing on the interior defensive line. You can't just go out and find those guys on the street corner somewhere, you know, in, um, in, in practice squads. These guys are rare players. So when there's one available, you better take them and you don't let them slide past, you know, the top 20. Does it create a hole to where the Chiefs feel like uh, a desperation to go and fill that spot, uh, if they don't have Chris Jones on this team? They definitely have to add somebody, right? And so I, I would imagine just looking at Brett Veach's history, if they were to lose Chris Jones, they would definitely sign some level of defensive tackle and free agency to where they would have the bodies that if they had to play a game on draft day, that they would be ready to go. So like they would not be walking into the draft with the current defensive tackle room. So like we had mentioned some guys, you know, Matabuke, Wilkins earlier, mm-hmm. uh, Leonard Williams, Leonard Williams. Is up, Danico Autry, Fletcher Cossack. There's players out there that have started, that were starting last year, that were impactful players for their team. So if they don't keep Chris Jones, if he does hit free agency and signs with another team, I do think they sign at least one, if not two, guys with starting experience at the defensive tackle position. So as you said, when draft night comes, they don't feel pressed to have to find a way to get a Byron Murphy, to have to trade up for a Jerzon Newton or whatever it may be. They try traditionally to stay really far away from we need to draft somebody to field, you know, a starting roster. They try to get those guys under con- or some guys under contract before. Now that doesn't mean that they still can't draft a defensive tackle early, even if they sign somebody that we've mentioned. But they like to they mm-hmm. like to have that ready, so that way they have that flexibility come draft time. Visiting with Matt Lane, KCSN, uh, KC Laboratory podcast. Um, Mike Evans has been talked about a lot um, around here, as and even throughout the season of whether or not he would be somebody that would sign. Uh, with the Chiefs, and, and it looks like Tampa Bay wants to re-sign him. He wants to return to Tampa Bay. They aren't going to franchise tag him. It's going to be like $28 million to franchise tag Mike Evans. There's been talk of him looking for a two-year $50 million contract, which I think prices him out of Kansas City. Is he somebody that the Chiefs should be in the market for if it means spending that money, or should they be shopping in the... I don't want to say secondary market to where you're looking at a Darnell Mooney or, or something like that, but a you know, a, a Hollywood Brown uh, type player as opposed to paying $50 million over two years for somebody in his 30s like Mike Evans? Or would he be worth it for the Chiefs to go out and do that? Uh, how do you view maybe him specifically, but also what the wide receiver market may look like for the money that they may be willing to spend on that? That's I, I think he's going to be at a, a price point that doesn't make a lot of sense for the Chiefs, especially when you give you know consider his age and everything and the type of receiver he is. I, I don't think Mike Evans is just a contested catch guy. He's a full all-around wide receiver that definitely wins 
more vertically and with its size than he does, you know, pure route running or speed or anything like that. So, like, I don't even know if the fit is perfect for Kansas City, but on top of that, he's going to be so high up there in terms of how much money he's going to get paid per year, and it's going to be a short-term deal, so you have to dole that cash out relatively quickly. I just don't foresee that happening if the Chiefs are going to spend that much money on a wide receiver and we won't know if he's going to hit you know, actual free agency or not. Mm-hmm. Somebody like Michael Pittman Jr. would make a yeah. lot more sense for Brett Veach's kind of history of signing guys that are younger and to a little bit longer deal and probably fit in the offense a little bit more. But even still, with him, uh, T. Higgins you can add in here, Calvin Ridley it sounds like is going to not be re-signed before at least free agency starts. I think all those guys are going to probably price themselves out of what Kansas City is going to look to spend on the wide receiver position given they just won back-to-back Super Bowls with largely ignoring, not ignoring, but paying as little attention to the position as what is a team can and still have success. Like they added as few dollar amounts to that position as they could, as as few proven players to that position as they could, and it worked. So I doubt you see them really open up the pocketbook to get a wide receiver. So looking at Hollywood Brown, Darnell Mooney, even a little bit lower, just somebody that has reliable, like a K.J. Osborne, Kendrick Bourne's coming back from an ACL injury, but he was playing really good before that. Like, I expect them to play a little bit closer to the 10 to $12 million range than really compete at the top end, and then we'll see what happens when the draft rolls around, just like the tackle. They want extra bodies on the field at wide receiver before the draft starts. Mm-hmm. That doesn't that won't deter them from drafting more guys. They just want to have enough guys under contract that they feel like they can play a game with if the season had to start early. Yeah, if they go out and um, you know, if if you're looking at what you know market value would be like a Darnell Mooney for like nine million dollars uh, market value right now, Hollywood Brown would be you know two years, twenty four, three years, thirty six, so about twelve million dollars per. I mean, if I can spend twenty, twenty-one million dollars and bring in Marquise Brown and and um, and and Darnell Mooney to add to Rasheed Rice, and if I, you know, and, and, and you know, just you know, throwing some names out there, but I was going to mention and, and maybe restructure MVS. Do you think that's a possibility? You know, MVS they can save about twelve million dollars on the cap if they were to uh, release them instead of a fourteen million dollar cap hit. They take a two million dollar dead cap hit to move on from them. But would it be smart because he's He's a guy who can add value to a team. He just isn't worth $14 million. He's not worth $11, $12 million to be on a team. Uh, I've brought up a couple players in the past, a Frank Clark and a Sammy Watkins, where the Chiefs went to him and said, we're going to cut you. This is what our dead cap hit is. Would you be willing to restructure your deal, take a lot less money, and stay here? And, And we'll put some incentives in the contract. I think they'll do that with MVS. I don't think they'll just outright cut him and say, good luck. Uh, thanks for the last couple of years. Uh, and I think it would be smart for MVS to then say, yeah, I'll take the one year, three million with incentives that may get up to eight million dollars or something like that. And most of them would be not likely to be earned, Matt, since, you know, he had such a rough year this year. Would that be the route that you would take if you're the Chiefs of not just moving on from MVS, but if you were to, you know, drop his number down to like three million and then add a wide receiver or two? I'm throwing number. I'm throwing names out there, so this is not you know uh, something that may even be realistic. But if your wide receivers next year, you go in with Hollywood Brown, Darnell Mooney, Rasheed Rice, and MVS, I feel a whole lot better. And you're not spending thirty million dollars for one guy. I think theoretically, the, the idea with MVS theoretically makes sense for them. It's just he's had such a tumultuous like path with mm-hmm. the Chiefs right now that it's it's hard to understand where his mindset is, where the yeah. team's mindset is. Do they want him back even at a reduced price, or are they just ready to turn that page and get someone new? Like, obviously, it ended on a very high note with MBS, right? But 
that's why you don't necessarily have head coaches or other players making these decisions. You have people that have essentially been trained to be more objective about it. How is the feeling in that front office? With people running the numbers, you know, above the field level, how do they feel about MVS coming back, whether it is, you know, at a reduced price or not? And doing so, I would assume if you're extending him, but kind of moving the money around, you're locking yourself into him for a little bit longer, making it more difficult to get out of him, out of his contract, you know, right away or in the future. Is that what they want to do? Or do they just want fresh faces? Do they just Mm -hmm. want new guys in there to turn it over? So I, I think the plan is definitely going to be to add, you know, at least one, if not two veteran guys heading into the draft. And I still think they are going to be very interested in adding, you know, a top 100 pick at the wide receiver position. I doubt they come out of these first two days without that. So I'm feeling good about what the pathway can look like for the wide receiver group. It's just a matter of what they're going to do. And so there will be veterans. I think there will be young guys. What gets a little tricky for them is if you look at their wide receiver depth chart, it's not good, but there's a lot of names. There's a lot of guys that are on the team, under contract, that you have to make kind of hard decisions to add. If you want to add three wide receivers, you're going to have to be – essentially riding off a Justin Ross. You're going to have to be cutting a Sky Moore, cutting a Kadarius Tony, guys that are already kind of having money allotted to them. Not that it's a big cut or anything like that, but is the team ready to move on from that many guys in one season as well? So I don't know if there's enough space to add three to four new faces, mm-hmm. but you might be able to add two, maybe squeak in a third if you make the hard cut to cut MVS, maybe a Kadarius Tony or Sky Moore go. Like, they got some decisions to make at, at the wide receiver position, and it's a matter of here and I guess a couple uh, couple weeks once free agency starts, we'll really start to get an idea of what they're doing. Because I don't think they'll spend Hollywood Brown-level contract, just using names. I don't know if they will spend the money on Hollywood Brown and still look to add a first-round wide receiver, but if they, I don't know, let's say sign a Darnell Mooney a little bit less or just a veteran like a K.J. Osborne, they might be looking a little bit harder into the draft. It's all about allocating your resources. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll add wide receivers. I just don't think they will do the offensive line-level rebuild where all the resources go to that position group, if that makes sense. The, the, the draft guide is there at uh, KCSN that you can pre-order right now as the Combine's coming up next week, and, and we'll get a lot more answers and where guys will be moving up and down the draft boards, and this is a deep position, uh, wide receiver position in the draft. In your mind, with the Chiefs sitting at 32 and 64 with their first two draft picks, so, um, you know, they, they don't have the, the plethora of picks like they had a couple of years ago when they were able to kill the draft, uh, in what they did and, and they capitalized on those draft picks that they had. Is it, is it more worth it to you for the Chiefs to package some picks that they don't really have a lot of, by the way? So limiting the, the lottery tickets, limiting the chances of getting a Joshua Williams or a Legereus Need or a Trey Smith or something like that. And go and get a Troy Franklin um, or a Brian Thomas Jr. or something like that. Or you're sitting there at 32 and somebody calls and you slide back and say, all right, we'll go back into the late 30s, pick up a third or fourth rounder and take, you know, a Mitchell from Texas or Keon Coleman from Florida State or uh, Burton or Worthy. Some of these guys that might be early second to mid second round uh, draft picks uh, as wide receiver. What would be. Uh, a, a better strategy in your mind for the Chiefs of you as, as you've you know obviously your the draft is is your baby and you're looking at it is it worth spending picks to go up and get somebody like a Brian Thomas Jr. Um, or a Troy Franklin as opposed to a lesser player but in this year's draft is better than maybe some other players that would be drafted at that spot yeah so 
for me, and this is just thinking wide receivers here yes, right now. Yes, specific right? wide receiver. That's other, it. A lot of other positions. Yeah, it can be good. Yeah. Like for me, normally I'm I'm a bigger fan of, especially in the first round, of trading up for guys that are different. So like the Trent McDuffie trade to me is like the pinnacle of that. Like yes, the Chiefs used a lot of capital to go get Trent McDuffie, but at no point, in no way, shape, or form can you convince me that the team would be better off have using all those picks. And you can even pick and choose the best selections at all those spots left, and I still don't think the team overall impact would be as good. So I am normally team trade-up when a guy is different. The problem is I think this wide receiver class in particular, the first three guys, your Marvin Harrison, Roma Dunze, Malik Davis, those guys are all different. After that, though, I think the next – Five, six, seven wide receivers. I, I have them, you know, the order of them that I prefer, but I don't know if there's huge gaps between, you know, that wide receiver four and almost wide receiver ten in this mm. draft class. They all have very different skill sets, but very good skill sets. It's a very strong wide receiver group in that, in that range to me. So given the Chiefs lack of capital, I think this year I would be team trade back ten spots and, you know, be willing to take an Xavier Worthy, for example, instead of going to get your Brian Thomas shooter. It's a different body types, but they're going to serve the same purpose. They're both out there to take the top off of, you know, the defense. They would both, I think, be great in Kansas City, but if the difference is trading up the pick 20 to get Brian Thomas Jr. or getting to trade back and collect another day two pick to get Xavier Worthy, I would probably mm-hmm. lean that route given how little draft capital the Chiefs have. And just like I said, I don't see a huge separation from those wide receivers from, you know, four to about wide receiver 10 in this class. We'll let you go on this one. If you're, if you're guessing right now, uh, what positional group would you look at as the most likely that the Chiefs select if they're sitting there in the first round? I think their, their first pick, I think, is going to be a tackle or a wide receiver. I think it's going to be on the offensive side. I haven't decided which one I want to narrow it down to just yet. That's going to be so bored and free agency dependent. But I think it's an offensive pick, and I would heavily lean towards either a left tackle or a wide receiver. And at this point, since no moves have been made, I'm going to say wide receiver, but I, I'm leaving myself a little mm-hmm. back Absolutely. out of that to offensive tackle. 100%. The uh, draft guide, you can pre-order it right now at KC Sports okay. Network. The uh, the combine coming up next week. Matt, you're the man as always. Matt Lane, KC wow. Laboratory Podcast, KCSN. Appreciate it as always joining us, man, and uh, looking forward to our conversations already continuing to look at some of these draft picks and the moves in free agency. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, go Chiefs, but now it's draft time. Let's go. Heck yeah. Matt Lane is now living his best life. He is living his best life with the uh, draft and combine coming up next week, and the draft guide is already able to pre-order there. Uh, it is a fantastic reference um, if you are, I don't know, if you like the draft, which turns out people do. People enjoy uh, the draft, and I am a huge, huge, huge fan of as people may have known by now over the years of the roster construction of how to put the roster together, where you're allocating resources. I just, it's so fascinating. It's, you know what, it's the fantasy football bleeding over into real football, obviously with bigger questions and bigger details that go along with it. But it's the, if you're, if you play a, um, an auction league as opposed to a snake, You've got the money to spend. You've got to allocate at certain places. This is what you know how your league uh, puts to the 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 rules and the points and everything. And I love it with the with the NFL and how the Chiefs go about it because if it's twenty five million dollars for Mike Evans, or you're paying twelve million dollars for Hollywood and eight million dollars for Darnell Mooney. And even if you say we're going to restructure MVS for three million, now you're looking at twenty three million 
for Mooney, Hollywood, and MVS, and MVS being the fourth receiver at that point. It's like, oh, you know, MVS and, and what he's done with this team and being a part of I don't know, there, there's some bad feelings there. Yeah, because he was like one of the main options for this team. But if he slides back to number four, and you've got Rice and Hollywood to take the top off the defense and Mooney, especially you go into the draft going, we don't have to go and, and trade up. Or maybe they look at it and say, we're going to spend a little bit of money on wide receiver, but there's so many good wide receivers in the draft. Maybe we spend money on Tyron Smith at tackle so we don't have to take somebody like that, or we spend the money elsewhere. Just It's going to be fascinating to see. Um, but I think one of the themes moving forward will be, boy, the wide receiver class is deep. Boy, the wide receiver class is deep. We've talked about that. When does the bubble burst on wide receivers? Because if so many good wide receivers are coming into the league, at some point you go, well, I'm not going to pay $30 million for this guy when I can pay 18 for this guy, or I can draft this guy in the second round because he's pretty damn good. He's not the guy that uh, we've, you know, 2017, the Buffalo Bills trade back with the Chiefs and get a third rounder and a first rounder the next year. And they take that third rounder and they package it with another pick, and they move up in the second round to get Zay Jones in the second round. These guys in the draft that are second rounds and maybe third rounds are all better than Zay Jones, and they had to move up to get that guy. That's what's going on in the NFL now with 7-on-7, with the spread offense in high school and college, and guys that used to be your best athlete, we put them at quarterback. Now, you want to play wide receiver? Great. Because we're developing quarterbacks throughout the uh, the world as well in flag football and seven on seven, so now you're getting much better, more refined, and higher level wide receiver play going into college and coming out of college into the NFL. And I think you're going to see more and more of drafts like this where you just go, "Boy, the wide receiver class is stacked," because we're looking at it through the lens of how we used to view the wide receiver class. And I think this is going to be more and more of what we see, which makes it less and less where you'll spend $50 million over two years for Mike Evans and where you may see 10 years ago a guy like Hollywood Brown might have gone for more money than what the projected market value of $12 million would be. And guess what? MVS was 11, you know, a few years ago. So we'll take a time out. We'll come back. More Zone next. All right, we continue right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Jason Anderson with you, Josh Briscoe, Kyle Collier, heading up until 2 o'clock. Max Reaper comes up at noon. No relation to the Grim. Frankly, nothing Grim about Max. Yes. It's actually spelled different, so no relation. Texas says, MBS has a very high opinion of himself. No chance he takes a deal like that here. And I'm good letting him walk. And if that's the case, then I'm good letting him walk, too. Absolutely. I mean, I'm perfectly fine if they walk and say, we'll take a $2 million dead cap hit and save $12 million on the cap. Totally fine with that. I'm also fine if they said, you know, we'll give you $3 million with the um, incentives that could get you a decent amount of money. Yeah, sure. Or you can go and test the free agent market. Right. But you're going to get more than three, more than $4 million on a one-year deal? Who's going to give you a multi-year deal? And and also, where does he want to be? Like when you, when you are talking about wide receivers in particular, if you think you have a chance to get paid somewhere else, spending another year with Patrick Mahomes is not a bad bet. But also, MVS might say, "Yeah, you you can give me a nice little deal here." Mm-hmm. If the Chiefs do cut him, he can probably at least try to get a two year deal somewhere else. And if that's more stable to him, that's fine. You made the point earlier, though. 
his 2023 tape is not <laughs> going to get him the money he wants in 2024. No. There's some amount of like buying into a bounce back, and if you regress under Andy Reid with Patrick Mahomes and if a group of receivers who could not catch a football this year, not not a great sales pitch. Text with a really great point that I hadn't even thought about. I'm just, uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned Darnell's, Darnell Mooney's name a couple mm-hmm. of times, and, and maybe he signs with the Chiefs, maybe he goes somewhere else. Maybe the Chiefs want him, maybe they don't. Said uh, Mooney with the Nagy connection. I hadn't even thought about that. Huh. Is that good or bad? I think it's good. Darnell Mooney with Matt Nagy had, in his two years, 1,600 yards and eight touchdowns. Okay. In All right, two good. years so with it's, Nagy. It's, yeah. Since then, he's had 800 yards and three touchdowns. And did Nagy drafted him, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Nagy drafted him, and he had a 1,000-yard season with Matt Nagy in year number two. 81 receptions, 1,000 yards, four touchdowns. That feels like that was 15 years ago. Yeah. That was, that was 2021. <laughs> That's crazy. And I just... I have so many visions of, and I didn't have them on my fantasy team, so this was not a, you know, lamenting that. Yes. I have so many visions of watching, for whatever reason, a Bears game and seeing Darnell Mooney being overthrown by Justin Fields or mm. underthrown. It's like, oh, he was open. Ah, oh, he just missed Darnell Mooney. Oh, he was there. It's like, I think MVS's free agent tape will be unfortunate for him. Mm-hmm. I think Mooney's tape will not match the production yeah. of his ability to get open and just not have a high-frequency passing attack and a player who is as accurate as Patrick Mahomes will be and how he would be used in this offense. And it's a great point on the Matt Nagy because Matt Nagy, as the offensive coordinator, got 80 receptions and 1,000 yards out of Darnell Mooney in Nagy's last year. Catching passes. from Was that still Trubisky or was that a little Trubisky platoon situation? That, that, was, um, that was Fields' first year. Oh, that was Oh, God, you're right. Yeah, that was Fields and Andy Dalton. That were Andy uh, Dalton. Okay, I felt like there was a vet in the mix there that I couldn't, I couldn't Fields, play. So Fields and Andy, Dalton. Fields and Andy Dalton um, in that spot. I think that, like I was referring to earlier, of of maybe not necessarily bargain shopping, but your value shopping yeah. in all of this. Yeah, for sure, you're I, value shopping. I, I think, think finding value in Darnell Mooney is a, a really interesting one. Not to come in and be your number one receiver, right? You know, come in and be a guy that okay, Rasheed Rice may be your number one, or maybe you go and sign somebody that's your number one, or you don't have a true number one, and you've got Rice and Hollywood and Mooney and a draft pick and Justin Watson and Sky Moore that are there, and you're like, all right, you got like six guys there that are okay, you mm-hmm. know, and because you go into this uh, season and it's like the only person that you look at and go has a spot on this roster, I would say as a wide receiver, would be Rasheed Rice. Sky Moore can earn. I don't, I'm not cutting Sky Moore. He can earn a spot. Like, yep. he can earn a starting spot or, you know, uh, one of the six uh, if he goes out there and performs and actually performs and it's not just he was a second-round draft pick, therefore he is going to be written in as uh, this returning guy. I mean, last year at this time, they were talking about, well, maybe not at this time, but last year in the offseason, they were talking about Sky Moore and Kadarius Toney. Sky Moore is going to take a step forward, and Kadarius Toney might be a number one wide receiver. Well, we ain't going down that route. That ship has sailed. They've done that, been there, done that, got burned. Okay? Not happening. So now you go in there with a legitimate, realistic view, and maybe they were just trying to explain it away to themselves. 
Uh, no, no, we've got confidence that Kadarius Tony uh, he could be a number one guy. Sky Moore's taking that step forward because they couldn't afford to go out and add at that point. I think they had to believe. I know, I know they were hamstrung by the Jones deal and not being able to go pick up DeAndre Hopkins or whatever. But I think the process of that off season, I think they had to believe that themselves to some extent mm-hmm. because Rasheed Rice ended up being the, the number one receiver this year, and I think that was a pleasant surprise for them. I think they bought the Sky Moore Kadarius Tony combo at least to some extent. I don't think there's any way they went in uh, because when we heard about Kadarius Tony. Sky Moore was OTAs in minicamp. Yeah. I don't think there's any chance, especially when we've heard about MVS and, and learning and trying to pick things up. There's no way they, they went into that and going, there's our number one guy. We're winning a Super Bowl because that guy, we're going to get him the ball. He's going to catch it. He's going to get uh, yards after the catch. You know, He's, he's going to be consistent. We're going to hit him four times, five times a game. Yeah. It's not. He's going to be the leader in yards after catch for a rookie. Since in the last few years, maybe. I don't know. That sounds, I feel like that came up somewhere. Certainly it was the best rookie season for the Chiefs, for a Chiefs receiver since Bo, right? Uh huh. Um, but yeah, but the, like the, yards just after Yak specifically, Yak I think in the postseason, right. I think he broke the Yak record for rookies since 2018. It's not really a rook, uh, record, but going back to 2018, rookies in the postseason, he broke Jamar Chase's yards after catch the most, um, uh, this year. Um, he is not. He did not catch Jamar Chase in receiving yards for a rookie yeah. in the postseason. That makes overall, sense. right? Because Jamar Chase was amazing when they went to the Super Bowl with the, the the Bengals playing four games. Rasheed Rice got four games as well, but he did not break that record. But yards after catch specifically, he was the yak merchant for this team. Uh, he was uh, he was awesome. Um, but that's specifically for a rookie. Because he doesn't even own the yards after catch record for one postseason in, in Chiefs history. Um, that Is that was, a Tyree kill? That's Jarek McKinnon in yards after catch for one postseason. That's Jarek McKinnon? Mm-hmm. A couple years ago. God, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Not that he did it, but that that's the record. Like, yeah. that note that that... I mean, it's only a few yards. Uh, Rasheed Rice was just a few yards away from, from, from breaking that. He's not, Rasheed Rice is number two in that, um, you know. I was reading the, uh, the the game book. Yeah, the, it's a little sports or leisure, little recently, vroom vroom. Yeah, I can hear might that. Might be a little sports or leisure. Maybe remember those for the 1 o'clock hour. Very I don't know. Good. Maybe that'll be there. Maybe listening right now, free hit. Um, got to stick around for an hour 20. I'll tell you this. One of those is part of sports or leisure. One of them is not. Excellent. One of them just random that I remembered in, in reading those things. Um, but there, there's no way in the middle of the summer they thought Rasheed Rice is our number one guy. We're going right. to win a Super Bowl because we're going to be able to say, hey, four, be ready for the football. Right. In the overtime drive, <laughs> when mic'd up, Patrick Mahomes is like, four, be ready for the uh, football on third down and six. If you would have said that this time last year, you would have been like, is Chad Haney unretiring and what? Why is he throwing? Haney was ready for the football. It's a 99-yard drive. Is he taking the snap and throwing the football next year? He was ready against the Jags. He's yeah. ready for the football. He stepped right in. 99-yarder, baby. It's also oh. funny to hear Matt say last segment, like, you know, if the Chiefs are making these moves, maybe they maybe they move on from Sky Moore or Kadarius Tony. Like, maybe they make one of those guys <laughs> a roster spot. Um, but, like, and boy, howdy, do not hear me be like, no, just receive it by committee. Do what you did last year. Run it back, baby. Uh, that's not where I'm at in any way whatsoever. Narrow. It's not really where I was at this time last year, for being frank. But they did end up having that roster crunch at wide receiver at the end of training camp this year. And if you are talking about how much the top of the roster there improves, the guys who don't make the team, if they do really invest in multiple guys in free agency and in the draft at receiver, it's going to look very, very different. I, 
I think right now I'd rather have McCole Hardman than Kadarius Tony, but McCole Hardman's hitting free agency again, and Kadarius Tony has a two and a half million dollar guaranteed salary that's all dead money if you cut him before the year. I'm not saying that that two and a half million dollars prevents you from having a change at that very important receiver spot, but I I do think Sky Moore is on the team, and I think he will end up mm-hmm. with the roster spot, and I think he will mostly earn it. I think it'll be a little bit on reputation and pedigree and the investment and all of that, but. It's going to be, I know we're now uh, months and months ahead, but however the receiver group ends up shaking out is going to end up being fascinating at the top and at the bottom. Yeah, they're not going into this year saying Skymore's a starter. Right. Skymore can be on the team. Right. But if he's on the team, he ain't starting. Like he's going to be lower down the totem pole. Sorry. And can he do the things that he wasn't able to do last year? Because it wasn't just like he got hurt and didn't reach his potential. He was out there in the early in the season a lot and like not hitting his spots. Yeah, and not getting the ball thrown to him, not getting targets. He's out there a lot and not getting targeted. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Rasheed Rice was getting targeted a lot. Hell, Richie James was getting target share when he was in the game over a Sky Moore. So yeah, they've got some big questions. They've got some big decisions to make. And they've got some options out there. I mean, that's the thing. At wide receiver, this is not a scarce market to where you're going, good God, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? No. they got options in the draft. they got options at, at the free agent market. they got uh, uh, options that are going to be a value and not just having to break the bank to bring the, that player in. Not to where you are sort of desperate and you trade Tyreek Hill and go, well, let's sign MVS then right. because he's out there and we need somebody to be fast. So that means we've got to give him a three-year deal. Then we're going to have to give him a three-year deal for $33 million. It's just what it's going to be in year three. We're going to have to pay him $14 million against the cap because we're trading Tyreek Hill, and we need somebody to go out there and take the top off the defense. We're in a little bit of a desperation mode. They're not in that. They they, they go in this with uh, eyes wide open into this offseason. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back and continue rolling. More zone next. Thank you to Matt Lane earlier this hour. We'll talk with Max Reaper coming up. In the noon hour, in the next segment, we'll talk some Royals baseball with him. A lot of conversation going on about downtown parking, and it has nothing to do with the Royals today. Typically, it's been all about the Royals downtown parking. Mm-hmm. Parking, the Parker brothers, the Parker family, it's parking. How am I going to park when we go downtown? Um, this isn't the best news for the Royals, considering that when the stadium renovation is on the docket coming up in April and uh, the Casey Current have let their season ticket holders know that there are a couple of lots that are available and uh, the premium parking for those particular lots that's open to season ticket holders is going to be, after taxes and fees, $68 to park. Now, we talk about cars that can go 0 to 60. Mm-hmm. Um, their parking went from 0 to 68 mm-hmm. Um Overnight, And there is a lot of sticker shock that goes along with that. There's a couple of issues with this. Um, one is it does reinforce the need for more public transit around Kansas City. Yeah, the biggest shock of this for me is that the nearest streetcar stop is a mile from the new stadium. A mile away. Why is that? In 2025, it's supposed to then be at the new stadium. But for one year, you're finding different options as to where to park. Yeah. I do think in the future... There will be parking on the north side of the river, mm-hmm. and you will be able to take a ferry over the, the river and, and be able to dock and let people off right there. Um, I don't know how expensive that parking will be and, and, and things like that, but I think there will be other options as they move forward. But right now, the options are limited in terms of 
parking around the stadium. There's the ride, uh, park and ride. They've got those things that are there. Um, it's it's a difficult sell right off the bat because it is leaving a, a sour taste in some people's mouths uh, to uh, to go and pay sixty eight dollars to go and park at Casey Current Games. If the only way to go to the game was sixty eight bucks. Then that would severely limit. We, my kids have only gone to current games. We haven't gone to a sporting game, actually. My, I mean, we've been in town almost five years, uh, four and a half years, and we've gone to multiple current games. We've never actually gone to a sporting game. Uh, just circumstance, you know. Not that you know. It's like, well, no, we refuse to go to sporting. Yeah. It's just that happens to be the case. So we're looking forward to going downtown and watching the current at the new stadium. That's awesome. And there are other ways to go and be around downtown and park. But $68 for the season ticket holder is is tough. My initial takeaway, Josh, was this is the part of sort of people complaining on both ends. Yeah. The Royals can build their own stadium. They're billionaires. Clark Hunt and the Chiefs, they can build and renovate their own stadium. They're billionaires. Sick and tired of us supplementing their money with our tax dollars. Okay. Well, the Longs just went and built their own stadium with their own money. Well, why are they charging that much for parking then? This is ridiculous that they're charging us for parking. Okay. Do you want to pay for it that way? Or do you want the percentage cents on sales tax to help pay for it that way? Now, the project is not done. There'll be more parking and things around it. And again, the streetcar will go down there. But I think this is part of it. If the Royals built their own stadium downtown and charged 150 bucks for parking, people would complain. Why? You're gouging us for parking. Okay, but your three-fourths cent uh, sales tax is is not going in uh, to to effect that they're building their own stadium. The the even the the sticker shock of it is one thing. the the other The other thing I imagine that the current is probably not thrilled with themselves for is that the fact that season ticket holders are are finding this out now, mm-hmm. where was it? It wasn't a part of the of the deal at the time. Sign up for season tickets or season tickets plus call it premium parking because mm-hmm. that my, my read on it originally was like they, they are charging a lot of money for the most premium parking spots and we know that the parking and everything there is going to be a little bit of a challenge again that's for me when i got to near a streetcar stop is still a mile away from there right now yeah that that is punishing people who aren't going to necessarily buy season tickets or your best seats and you the, the people you want to fill out your stadium and have that passionate fan base uh, and, and from the like ownership side of it all, I mean, first of all, the Chiefs and Royals have been price gouging for parking for a million years anyway, so they've been doing both. What's the premium parking to park near the uh, Royal Stadium and, and Kaufman? I literally or Kaufman and, and the Arrowhead. I literally would not know. I would have no way of knowing. I think getting it's in the like 40, getting in the gate is like forty like to sixty bucks. 30, I think. 30, 40 bucks to park in like yeah. Lot J. Yes, exactly. So at Kaufman, I. I understand the frustration absolutely for getting that email and going wait that that's not what I was budgeting there. I think that, as you were kind of alluding to, the next best thing is to make more of the city more accessible, which yes. is which is something that should not be as big of an issue in the heart of downtown that the Royals are projecting, because there is parking around there, and there's a little more infrastructure. I think there's an infrastructure issue as much as it's a current issue or a parking issue. And I think when the project is completely done, there'll probably be some more parking. But if the streetcar were there, if there were other public transit that was easier or something like that, and I do think they're going to have that access on the north side of the river. I think that will be a part of the plan overall, and it'll be easier to get there. It's sticker shock right now, but we can't complain that you supplement some teams and then you don't supplement teams and then they get their money back some other way.